You see the title of the message today, so I'm going to ask you, are you going gray? Some of us are well on the way, but I want to talk to you about a different kind of gray, and that is the clear and present danger of spiritual mediocrity. You know, I was telling the first service, I, uh, I talk out of my heart. I share with you what God places on the hearth of my heart, and there are some things that have been concerning me, even angering me with what is happening in our culture, what is happening in our country. And I want you to listen very carefully what I'm going to share with you today because we are under attack. We're under attack as Americans. We're under attack as Christians. There is a concerted effort, alive and well, moving in this country today to take away your liberties, to mock and ridicule and suppress the truth about your God, your faith, your Christ, your Bible, your Christianity. It's being unleashed on a level that I have never seen. I'm 56 years old. I've been walking with God since I was 18 and preaching that long. And I have never seen the level of attack that is happening right now. But I want you to know that there is an answer. And the answer is in you. Matter of fact, the Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's right. But I want to deal with this whole issue of gray today. Let's read Revelations 3, 15 and 19. Jesus talking to the Laodicean church, the last church that he addresses in the book of Revelations. And don't forget this Wednesday night, since we're speaking about Revelations. I finished Revelations last Wednesday, but this Wednesday we're going to add an addendum. And I'm going to talk to you about World War III, the Gog-Magog War. It is yet unfulfilled prophecy. And we're going to give you notes, and you're going to put it right in the Revelations binder that you had for these last 16 weeks for Revelations. So don't miss it. But let's read Revelations 3. Jesus says something that ought to put the fear of the Lord in you. I know everything you do. Everybody say, oh me, or amen. He knows everything you do. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, he couldn't be any more graphic, could he? But another version uses the word vomit. I want, you're making me sick to my stomach in your lukewarm condition. I want to spit or spew you out. He says in verse 17, you're deceived about yourself. You say you're rich, have everything you want, don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked as it relates to spiritual things. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, which is the garments of righteousness, so that you will not be shamed by your spiritual nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. Then he encourages us with these words. I correct and discipline everyone who I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference or lukewarmness or your mediocrity. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. I pray that you will place in every heart here a holy fire of zeal. Is zeal for the Lord of hosts and zeal for your name and for your cause. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them. You better perk up and listen. It's going to be good today, and we all need it. Now, about two of you did that. Everybody else looks at me and moves your mouth a little bit, and don't tell me. Tell your neighbor. All right, I want to just uh, talk to you about this today because this is concerning me. I'm, uh, again, I'm not talking about your hair, of course, um, but I'm talking about your spiritual life and the spiritual life of all of America. Now, I think that if lukewarm were a color, it would have to be gray. If lukewarm were a color, it, it's gray. Uh, gray is in between, and that's what lukewarm is. Gray is in between black and white. That's what gray is. It's a mixture of two extremes. Gray's not distinctive. It's not outstanding. It's not a strong color. It's drab. Gray. How often do you buy gray paint? Gray is drab. It's not a happy or a bold color. When you think of, of gray, you don't think of happy. And I want you to be happy. You know, the Lord forgave you for your sins. He put His Holy Spirit within you. And there is a testimony on your face, whether you are sad or glad. And I think it's time that Christians use the greatest billboard God's got, and that's your face. And get out there and smile. When you go to a restaurant after church today, be sure you smile. Be bold in the Lord. Look like something good happened to you. Matter of fact, I'm going to count to three, and I want everybody to inform your face. You can smile. Some of you are looking at me like you got run over on the way here. Are you ready? One, two, three. Some of you still just like this. You know, I got a testimony for you this week. Talk about needing to be bold. Now, we're bold here. We're bold with the Word. We share the Word of God. People don't want to know what Jeff Wickwire thinks. They want to know what God thinks. And so we're very bold, and we go out over the air. This week, we had a little mini tragedy in our house. Well, I was told it was a tragedy. We had to renovate a very small bathroom in our house. And so the construction guy gets over there, and he's got to take the tile off the wall, and he's got to remove an old bathtub that cracked. And so I get this call, and it's this construction guy, and he says, oh, it's bad. I said, what's bad? He said, you got bugs, man. I said, bugs? What? He said, you've got a huge ant bed right underneath your bathtub. I said, are there termites? Well, I don't see any termites. I said, then it's not bad. It's just kind of bad. So he said, we're going to have to get a, a pesticide person over here to take care of this before we can finish this. And I said, okay. So I got on the phone, got a pesticide person over there. So this young man comes in and he goes back there. And I got, came home about 15 minutes after he was there. So I went back there to see what this bad was. And I go in there and I looked at this huge ant bed. Now, some of you are already beginning to scratch an itch. And, and I know how you feel because it was ants, thousands of ants. But they weren't coming out. They were very happy under the tub. And so I looked at this and I said, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. And I walked out. That was all I said. And so the kid comes out and he says, hey, uh, I think I can fix this. Let me go out the car and bring you a little form. He comes back in. He goes up to Kathy and he says, is he on radio? And she said, well, yeah, he's got a Christian show. He said, I knew I'd heard him say, Lord, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. And so how many of you know that I'm real glad that's all that I said? Because he had me nailed. 
So we shared with him. And by the way, we're off of 91.7 now. It's off the air as of today. And we're on 91.3. My youth pastor reminded me between services, so I'm letting you know. And we start the Revelation series tomorrow night on 91.3. Don't miss it. 6.30 to 7 every weekday, 91.3. But now, uh, I say all that to say that you got to be bold with the Word of God. God wants us to be bold. He wants us to shine like lights. Uh, He wants us to have a witness in our life. How many of you know somebody who is lost? Somebody who needs Jesus? Somebody who's struggling with life? Can I see the hands? All right. Christ in you is the hope of glory. But my concern today is when I ask you the question, are you going gray? I'm not just talking to you about your spirituality, but I'm talking about and asking and wondering about and pondering the entire American European church. The European church, everybody, is gone. The Church of England is virtually gone. Whole beautiful churches are being bulldozed down, turned into mosques, turned into nightclubs. Secularism has been like a nuclear bomb dropped over England. It has dried up the Christian faith there to their shame. The land of Spurgeon, the land of Whitfield, the land of the Wesley brothers is virtually secular now and no longer Christian. And it's coming this way. And I don't know about you, but it concerns me. As a matter of fact, it angers me. And let me tell you why. Because this nation was dedicated to God. It was dedicated to Jesus Christ. It was, our Constitution was written primarily by Christian men. And I am angry that it's being stolen away by secularists, stolen away by atheists, stolen away by a minority that's squeaking louder than the Christian church. And I think it's time that we stand up, that we speak up, that we begin to testify, that we get bold, that we put on boldness again. So I'm asking this question, is our Christianity in America, and I'm going to answer it, is our Christianity losing its distinctiveness, its clarity, and even its relevance? In other words, is the American church going gray? Now let me tell you what I see as a preacher and a long-time student of the Word of God. I feel that the church is facing a clear and a present danger of fading away through mediocre Christianity. Lukewarm, gray, non-distinct, not standing out, not shining. Whole denominations that used to be the bulwarks of truth are about as exciting right now as plain vanilla in a Baskin and Robbins and about as boring as dull gray. It is time for us to look around, look at the religious horizon on this land and say it may have happened in Europe. It certainly has always been this way in Russia and in communist China, but it's not going to happen here. The church is going to take a stand. The church is going to put on the anointing of God. The church is going to get angry in a righteous way. But it's not going to happen unless we have a wake-up call. It's not going to happen unless God rattles our cage. We're losing the battle. Due to nondescript, 
non-standout, non-distinct, so-so Christianity light. And how in the world is this happening? We're being bullied into the background. And I mean bullied. Bullied by this culture out of fear of being called bigots, homophobes, extremists, radicals, ignorant, backwoods, unlearned, uneducated, narrow-minded, and many other adjectives that a left-leaning press and a wrong-leaning culture are wanting to attach to the church. And i got to tell you today, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I'm weary of it. And I believe that there is an answer to this encroachment of darkness that is coming upon America. And that answer, I'm looking at that answer. And, and, and I, there's millions beyond you who have named the name of Christ, been washed in the blood of the Lamb, been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, have been called and destined and anointed to make a difference in this world. And if all the church all through America would do what I'm about to preach today, I'm telling you, the devil would be put to running. And I'm ready to see him run. This tendency towards gray, keep it in mind, towards gray, lukewarmness is the very thing Jesus said he detested most. He said, if you're going to be an atheist, be a good one. If you're going to be a Christian, be red hot. But don't give me this kind of there, kind of not, kind of in, kind of out, kind of with it, kind of not, kind of like it, kind of don't. He said, I want to see red hot people who are selling their lives out for me, who are not afraid of what people think who are not afraid of what people are going to say, but who will stand up for my name and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> now I want you to listen closely to what Jesus said. Our purpose was on this earth. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, its strength, its quality, how can its saltiness be restored? Then he says... That salt is not good for anything but to be thrown out and to be trodden underfoot by men. Now he was telling us what's going to happen to a church that loses its saltiness, its strength, its testimony, its word, its anointing. And that's what's happened to the church in Europe and it's what is coming this way if it's not stopped. We're losing our saltiness because we're, we've allowed ourselves to be intimidated into becoming apologetic for the Word of God, milk toast, nondescript, nondistinct, worldly, and gray. Let me give you a couple of examples. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? It wasn't too long ago that a major American pastor was interviewed on CNN. And he was asked this question by the host. He said, don't you think if people don't believe as you believe, referring to the gospel of Christ, they're somehow condemned? He said, preacher, don't you think, don't you believe, isn't it your belief system that if people don't believe like you, they're going to be condemned? Preacher responded, it's not my job to try to straighten everybody out. And so I don't know. I heard that. I was watching it. I put it on pause. I said, Kathy, did he say that? She said, he did. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, that if people don't believe in the gospel of Christ, I don't know whether or not they're condemned. 
pastor of one of the largest churches in America doesn't know? And then he said, I know there's condemnation, but I just don't feel that's my place. Not your place? Let me, let me give you a million dollar question. What would Jesus have said to that question? How would Jesus have responded to that host? Well, we happen to have the answer because it's in the Word of God. Here's what Jesus said. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in me. Great news. But anyone who does not believe in me has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. You know, Jesus would last about three minutes on CNN. He'd last about 60 seconds on MSNBC. They would kick him off so fast. You know why? Because Jesus was not politically correct. Jesus was straightforward and honest. And I came here today to tell you that it's his DNA that's in you. It's his DNA that's in you. Jesus went on to say, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son of God will never experience, never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. That's from the Son of God, who we worship. And I want you to notice His boldness, His clarity, His forthrightness. He was not muzzled by political correctness. He was not out to win friends and influence people if it meant compromising the truth. Do you hear the difference between the indistinct gray that the preacher shared and the bold black and white of Jesus' words? Let me give you another example. Recently, a national leader of the popular emergent church movement wrote these words. This year, I, along with a few Christian friends, and perhaps other currently unknown to us, will want to join in. We are going to be joining Muslim friends in the fast, which begins August 21st, Ramadan. We're not doing so in order to become Muslims. We're deeply committed Christians. But as Christians, we want to come close to our Muslim neighbors and share this important part of life with them. Now, can I take this logic just a little step further? Let's say you've got some friends that smoke pot. And boy, it's just a wonderful group of people, and you really like them, and you're doing your best to reach them, and they let you know they're having a pot party. And you say, you know, I just want to blend. I just want to merge. I just want to let them know how much I love them. So you go over there. They hand you a joint. You fire it up. You smoke it. And then you say to them through red-slitted eyes, Jesus loves you. Let me ask you something. Have you loved them? No. I said, have you loved them? No. You're not supposed to do what they do to reach them. No. What reaches them is when we can tell there's something different about you. That's when you reach them. The Bible says, don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Nothing. Paul said in another place, if the bugler doesn't sound a clear, distinct call, how will the soldiers know they're being called to battle? Church, hear me. The church is, if we're not making a distinctive call, 
with a distinctive message. How is anybody going to tell the difference between us and the world? You're not like the world. You're in it, but you're not of it. And the world is not your home, and the world is not your final destination place. No, you are the redeemed of the Lord. You have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light that you might show forth the praises of Him who did the calling out of darkness into His marvelous light. So what you need to say to people like that is, you know what, I don't need the drugs, and I don't need the alcohol, and I don't need the cults, and I don't need the false religions. God has redeemed me. He has placed within me His Holy Spirit. I've got the joy of the Lord. I don't need to smoke it. I don't need to drink it. I don't need to shoot it. I don't need to snort it. I've got it. It's the Holy Ghost and fire, and it's keeping me alive. Come on, church. You've got something they don't have. Because of our mediocrity, the world's doing exactly what Jesus said they would do. They're casting us out as irrelevant and stomping us under their contemptuous feet. God's called us to make a difference. Church, I wish that I could wake up the sleeping giant called the church. I wish that I could rattle the church's cage in a way that the whole church that is redeemed of the Lord would wake up. I wish that there would be an awakening all over this country because if the church woke up and began to realize these things and live for the Lord and share His Word, the darkness would be driven back, confounded, confused, perplexed, defeated, and destroyed. Now, maybe what the American church needs is to get a picture of the real Jesus. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Do you ever feel like asking that or saying that? Will the real Jesus please stand up? Let me ask you, when you think about Jesus, was he milk toast? Was he equivocating? Was he a fence sitter? Was he apologetic? Was he mediocre? Was he a wallflower? Was he a go-along to get-along kind of guy? Was Jesus afraid to be truthful? Was he honest? Was he forthright? Was he even confrontational when the circumstances required it? Let me ask you another question. Was Jesus politically correct? Did he run with the crowd at the expense of the truth? How's this one for you? Was Jesus always nice? Uh-uh. The Jesus I'm about to read to you lives inside of you. You've got his DNA. You may say to yourself, well, you know what? I'm just kind of a timid person. I've never been real uh, demonstrative, never been real outspoken. Can I tell you that you've got one living inside of you who is truthful, who is honest, who is outspoken, who will look at someone and tell them the truth about themselves? Uh, the Bible answers all the questions that I just asked you. First, we find that almost every chapter of the four Gospels makes some reference to Jesus running battle with the chief hypocrites of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were sad, you see. I couldn't resist that. I'm sorry. I just want to know if y'all were listening. And see, they were sad, you see, because they really didn't know God. Read it and you will find... Jesus made no effort whatsoever to be nice or apologetic or politically correct in his encounters with them. 
For instance, in Matthew's Gospel, we find that one of his last major public discourses involved his scathing pronunciation of seven woes over the Pharisees and Sadducees. Listen to what he said to them and tell me if he was trying to make friends. He said, woe to you, you brood of snakes. Try that at the workplace. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, he's talking to the religious leaders of his day, walking around with the Torah under their arm, teachers of the Old Testament, those who were esteemed and lauded and respected and lifted up among the people as being the men of God. He says, woe to you blind guides, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? That's your Jesus. That's the Jesus we worship here today. That's the Jesus that came to live inside of you. He was bold. He was forthright. He was courageous. He was strong. He didn't sound like them. He didn't look like them. He was so different that the people declared about him, nobody speaks like this man, for he speaks like one having authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. He was bold. He was clear. He was unapologetic with the truth, which he always spoke in love. One night, one of the top religious teachers of his day snuck over to see him. We know him as Nicodemus, a leading Pharisee. And he caught Jesus in the dead of night. And he said, I know that you must be from God because the works you're doing. What did Jesus do? Looked right at him. And he told him he was so far from the kingdom of God, he must be born again to have any hope of ever seeing it at all. Not something you would say to a respected Old Testament Bible teacher. But he said, you're far from God. You're never going to see the kingdom unless you're born again. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. How many of you can say this week he was truthful with me? Amen? In John chapter 5, just a couple of chapters later, he locks horns with them again. He looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and let them know what he thought about their lives and the truth of their interior soul. He said to them that despite their super religious reputation, they did not have the love of God in them. But he didn't stop there. He said they had never heard God's voice or seen his form. And he went on to say they did not have God's word abiding in them because the one God had sent, they did not receive him. Then he said, you don't even seek the honor that comes from God. You seek the honor that comes from men. And then he said to them, worst of all, that you, the teachers of Moses, who say you're disciples of Moses, you don't even believe him. Because it was Moses who spoke of me, and you don't believe me. And in one conversation, he stripped them of all their pretense, all their religiosity, all of their mask, all of their put on, and exposed them for who they really were. And then it says, in verse 34, he tells us why he talked to them that way. He said, I say these things that you might be saved. So Jesus believed in being forthright and being honest. And i got to tell you, church, I'm wearying. I don't know about you, but I'm wearying of preachers and ministers being interviewed on TV by secular people, waffling 
and not having a spine and not talking about the blood and not talking about the cross and not talking about the things of God. Listen, this is what changes lives. We say these things that they might be saved. We are honest that they might be saved. So, what can we do to see this thing turn in America? In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing even some more stats with you that are going to make, make you very nervous about the condition of our country. Because I want us to be shaken up and rattled a little bit. Is that okay? I didn't come here to tickle your ears. I came because I know the power of God rests in you. The power of God lives in you. And if we don't turn it back now, we're going to wake up one day and it's going to be eternally too late. So what do we do? I'm going to give you one thing today. We've got to regain our boldness. We've got to regain our boldness. Jesus, obviously, by what I just read to you, was bold. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation, to everybody who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you glad today that somebody told you the truth and were not ashamed of the gospel? If they had waffled with it, you wouldn't be here today worshiping God, redeemed of the Lord. You'd still be out there. So thank God somebody told you the truth. We're going to have to get our boldness back. Contrary to many in the American church of today, we see that Jesus was candid. He was straightforward with the truth. It was the only thing he knew that would turn a life around. I tell you these things that you might be saved. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we're to be obnoxious. I've known plenty of those. You see them coming and you hide. Uh Uh-oh, here they come. And they're going to tell me the truth about everything. They're going to read me the riot act and you hide. Nope. And I'm not telling you to be unloving or cavalier or loose with the gospel. There's a time for soft gentleness, and there's also a time for courageous boldness. Since we're under the attack we're under, atheist books have hit the number one bestseller list over and over again. Our current government seems to be hostile to the gospel of Christ. And secularists have taken over the schools where you can't say the name of God, say the name of Christ, can't talk about the things of the Lord, but you can take a witchcraft class. It's time for somebody to stand up and glorify His name. God did not create us us to be little church mice running off and hiding in our little holes in the wall and, and trying to duck and dodge the big bad cat of atheism or secularism or Darwinism. We are to be bold in the Lord. The Bible says that the wicked run away when nobody's chasing them. You remember those days when you were so paranoid because you were always doing wrong? Driving in the car, you were looking in the rearview mirror more than anything else. You saw a cop and you had a near coronary because you were living in sin and doing what was wrong. You remember that? And there, there were times you ran and nobody was even chasing you. You remember that? We called it paranoid. We're paranoid. Always paranoid. But you know what? Good news is when you get right with God, the Bible says the godly are as bold as lions. The godly are as bold as lions. So how can we, how can we get this divine boldness back? I'm going to tell you four things real quickly. First of all, you've got to pray up. 
Listen to this verse, Acts 4. After praying, the meeting place shook. Boy, I'd love to have a prayer meeting where the whole building shook. After praying, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the Word with boldness. I want you to notice prayer preceded boldness. You want to be bold in the Lord? There's a saying that says, He who bows before God will stand before men. And I really believe that. Boldness is preceded by prayer. Spend some time in prayer. Get with Jesus and cast all your cares upon Him. Listen to what He has to say to you. Open up His Word. And boldness will come upon you because the second thing this verse says is that boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. So you not only get prayed up, we need to get filled up. Every one of you knows how much gas is in your car right now. You know how close the needle is to empty. You've got enough sense to get into a gas station and fill her up before you end up on the side of the road out of gas. And yet I see Christians all the time living on fumes. They come dragging in here with their heads hung low. You better preach me up. You better sing me up because I've been down. Well, let me tell you something. God is looking for you in your prayer closet. And He's got a blessing for you. He wants to fill you up with the Spirit. Can I tell you the secret of the church? The secret of the church is not a program. It is not the name on a building. It is not a denomination. It is not how pretty your building is. The secret to the church is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the verse said. After praying, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled, all filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then... They preach the Word of God with boldness. Let me tell you what will change your life. An encounter with the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. It is not by might and it's not by power, but it's by the Holy Spirit that you defeat the sin in your life, that you witness with power. It's the Holy Spirit that will change you from a mouse into a man. It's the Holy Ghost that will change you from a coward into a courageous witness. The Holy Spirit, let Him fall. Let Him move. Let Him breathe on this building. It's the Holy Ghost that does it. It's the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that little band of 120 shook the entire Roman world. And the Western world of that day changed it upside down. Simon Peter, who had been afraid of a little damsel woman just a few weeks before, was filled with the Holy Spirit and blasted out the gospel to the Sanhedrin, to uh, uh, 3,000 people who were saved, to the religious leaders of his day. And it says, they looked at them and said, we know that these are ignorant and unlearned men. How are they doing these things? And Peter stood up and said, it is by the name of Jesus and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this power is what we need today, church. Come on now. Filled up. Filled up. 
See, here I was, 18 years old, not knowing what to do with my life, and I got invited to a meeting where I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you call it. Call it filled up. Call it baptized in the Holy Spirit. Call it touched by the Holy Spirit. Let's don't get bogged down in semantics. Here's the bottom line. The Spirit of God touched a skinny, 130-pound, long-haired ex-hippie who didn't know what to do with his life. And he transformed my life through the name of Jesus Christ. He put divine fire down in my heart. He opened up my mouth to preach the Word of God. I've never been the same since. We need a fresh touch from the Spirit of God. Oh, I'll tell you, it's the greatest power on the face of the earth. It's greater than any Iranian nuclear bomb. It's greater than any military machine in the entire world. The power of the Holy Spirit can take a culture and totally transform it. The power of the Holy Spirit can do in your life in five minutes what you couldn't do in 20 years. Not by might or power, but by the Spirit of God. You know, Pastor, you're starting to sound a little Pentecostal. I've been Pentecostal all along. What do you think got me here? This was not a career decision. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. I remember those days when the Spirit of God swept across this nation in the late 60s and early 70s and millions of young people were ushered into the kingdom of God some walking down the street without ever even hearing somebody witness to them the Spirit of God convicted them drew them wooed them you don't need to be afraid of the power of the Holy Spirit boy I could just stay right there but I gotta move on and say one more thing they were prayed up and then they got filled up. And then they got stirred up. It says, Paul wrote to them, wrote to Pastor Timothy and to the church and said, I want to remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, of, of the flame, of the gift of God, the inner fire that is in you. See, you get prayed up, and then you get filled up, but sometimes you've got to stir yourself up. So how do you stir yourself up? You just start talking. You start speaking. You start doing what you know you should. You stir up the gift of God that it is within you. Well, Pastor, I'm just feeling kind of dry. It's been a long time. I barely make it to church. Stir it up. I can't stir up the gift in you. You can stir it up. There is a flame down in your soul. There is a fire in your spirit. There is something that God put down there when you got saved. And Jesus said it would be like water springing up into everlasting life. He didn't save you to be a fuddy dud sitting on the sidelines watching everything happen. He, played, he saved you to be in the game, carrying the football, making some touchdowns. He wants you involved. And you do that by stirring it up. Ask me the truth. Say, are, do you always feel like preaching? Most of the time, but sometimes no. And you know what I do? I stir it up. And I say, preach, teach. And I haven't gotten three sentences out when I feel like it again. Matter of fact, I'm feeling real stirred right now. Real stirred. I just heard Harold say to Sue, what kind of church you say this was? Let me answer, Sue. 
This is a Holy Spirit-filled, word-preaching, Jesus-loving, humble, people-loving church that wants to make a difference. Are you sure, Sue? I'm absolutely sure, Harold. Listen to what he says. God did not give you a spirit of timidity, cowardice, or craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a well-balanced, calm mind. That's what he's given you. So when you go out there, you may be the minority, but you're really not. Because every day you walk out that door, you've got somebody with you. The Holy Spirit. Not an it, not an ethereal fog, not a substance, a person. And he's with you. And Jesus and you makes a majority everywhere you go. And folks, we've got to put our boldness back on. Pray up, filled up, stirred up, and then you've got to speak up. Peter said, be ready to speak up. And tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are. Tell them why you're weird. Tell them why you don't go to the bar after, church, after work. Tell them why, what you're doing on Sundays. They say, well, what are you doing on weekends? I never see you. Well, I'm, I'm at church praising God. I got redeemed. Once I was blind, now I see. I was lost, now I'm found. I love the Lord. He's given me a whole new life, whole new meaning, whole new purpose. Who knows? It might be an insecticide guy. It might be a pesticide guy. No telling. But he's going to put you around people that need to hear it. Can you stand with me? Now, would you say with me, prayed up, filled up, stirred up, speaking up. That's God's will for you every day. Father, thank you for your word today. If this is for you, if this is something that you want to receive into your own life, I'm calling you, because the Word is calling you, to be a red-hot witness, to take a stand. Not be ashamed, don't be intimidated by this culture. Raise your hand if you want to be a part of this today. Raise them high. Say, I want to be prayed up, filled up, stirred up. I want to be prayed up, filled up, and stirred up. Father, you see everyone in this congregation, and I pray that every one of them will be prayed up, filled up because they prayed, stirred up because they're filled, and speaking up. For, Lord, we see the attack, and we want to see it turned. Turn the darkness off this country, Lord. Shine a light on the current government that they would not be persecutorial against the church. That they would not persecute your people or persecute your word. Lord, let churches all over America, just like this one, stand up. Stirred up and prayed up. So that they're speaking up. We will not bow down, Lord, to this force of darkness. We won't break. We won't back down. And we thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a hand, would you? Go ahead and praise Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.